Welcome to Annie McGee's Indigenous Innovators Podcast. In this series, we profile Indigenous leaders, activists, artists, entrepreneurs, and others to better understand the challenges and opportunities that Indigenous people face today in Canada. I'm Jordan Rennick. I'm Dakota Lightning. Today on the podcast, we're talking about Inuit perspectives and the narratives in Southern Canada. Dakota and I are coming to you from Animiki headquarters, which is on the traditional territories of the Wasunich, Lekwungen, and Wyoming peoples of the Coast Salish Nation in Victoria, BC. Our guest today is Trina Kakak. She is joining us from the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Mississauga, adjacent to the Haudenosaunee Territory, and territory covered by the Williams Treaty in Peterborough, Ontario. We're talking today about Nunavut perspective, a subject that Trina is well-versed in as an Inuit activist from Baker Lake. You may have seen Trina's throne speech from Daughters of the Boat a few months back. She used her time in the House of Commons to speak about Inuit issues and draw attention to the need for non-Indigenous allies. Trina talks with us about her current activism project, Tehungna Nunavut, and shares her experiences as an Inuit and white Canadian growing up in Northern Canada, but furthering her education in the South. We're grateful for a chance to hear from an influential Inuit voice like Trina's and encourage you to check out her growing project, Tahunga Nunavut, on Facebook. Welcome, Trina. It's really great to have you here. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Great to be a part of it. Yeah, we heard you talk during um, the mock parliament session for Daughters of the Boat. Nunavut have been asked to make a plan to help ourselves in these systems we do not understand. All we are asking for is our basic human rights. What was it like to speak in like Parliament, to be in the place where they make decisions? It was very... I don't, I don't know how to explain the feeling, because all the... Most of almost all of the seats were filled by um, young women, and that in itself was very empowering. Just to see that kind of support and that kind of unity um, with all the participants. Actually, sitting in the room though, for me in the House of Commons, I felt really uncomfortable. It felt really disgusting, to be quite honest. It felt so. If colonization was a room, that's the room, that's the space, that's what that, like, the actual room felt like. And uh, I had uh, joined uh, Hunter Tutu's staff uh, on Friday for question period, and the amount of rude comments and bickering between the members uh, sitting in the house was kind of funny, but... (laughs) um, upsetting because these people make decisions for the country and they can't even get along with each other and have a civil conversation um whereas when the daughters of the vote ladies were sitting in there we clapped and spoke in support never against kind of like one another and so it was very different when i watched the actual members of parliament sit and have one of their meetings what prompted you to apply to join Daughters of the Vote? Uh, why did you want to be a part of that? So before I went back to college, I went back to school, I worked for Kulak Energy Corporation. Um, it's Nunavut's Power Corporation. I worked in the Human Resource Department. And um, we every day we got government reports, like kind of like 
the the news news reports and uh i just saw i think the the title was like daughters of the vote apply now women between ages 18 and 23 and um so that was probably just over a year ago now um it popped up at my desk and i was like oh this this looks interesting so i went in and I thought it'd be something really awesome to apply for and if I got to be a part of it that'd be great and just help me continue to grow in different uh skills and qualities and whatnot. <laughs> so I applied in May and I totally forgot um to be honest and I got an email popped up in September and took me a couple of seconds. I had to go look it up again and I was like what was the, what was this for? And cuz it'd been like 5 months and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is awesome." And just as time started um we started reaching the actual event dates, um it just got more and more real because being the only uh electoral riding, there's only one electoral riding for Nunavut. Um a lot of things were kind of on my own like Ontario they have uh whatever 70 plus or whatever the number is um they had their own kind of like provincial um workshops and sessions before the actual uh daughters of the vote uh, where we all got together so like each province and territory had their own and um the territories only having one riding for each we didn't really have or know anyone um so like just with the other things going on around that though so like being able to see um the Ontario girls get together and I reached out to some delegates and some delegates reached out to me as well so it wasn't totally uncomfortable but it it just I've never been to an event where um I di- I guess I just didn't realize what how big of a deal it was um at the time and it just got more and more like oh my goodness <laughs> this is this is it it was great so obviously the territories don't have a lot of political representation like you're talking about um how did it feel being the only one or one of the only ones there speaking on behalf of Inuit Canadians did you feel like you were able to make the impact you wanted or to have your voice heard yes and no um yes in terms of being able to make the statement in the house of commons and being able to make um the connections um that I was able to not just with delegates but with um organizers and um people from the house of commons so like I got to meet a uh, hunter's office and what not um so it, it was it was awesome it was really interesting to see more of how it works because when i was in high school anyways we we weren't we aren't submerged in that kind of political education i guess people really all we know is that you should go vote like i that's that's as far as uh my the extent to my knowledge of politics was uh up until dov and i just Lately I've been very I try to grab on to every opportunity I can and talk to anybody that'll listen and I used to be very very quiet and I'm starting to get better with 
speaking without having to be spoken to. <laughs> so it was a good opportunity for me to exercise that. In terms of being the only electoral riding for Nunavut, um, that doesn't make sense to me with Nunavut being so, it covers the most land out of all, all the provinces and territories. And just one community to another can be a totally, and I understand it's like that everywhere, but just because the amount of land is so huge and vast, really there should probably have three regions, there should be three ridings. And but it's per capita and all all this kind of stuff. So to me, that's part of the reason why Nunavut is often put on the back burner uh, and kind of left out. Like when I when I spoke in the House of Commons, a, a lot of there were thirty of us that spoke. Quite a few delegates spoke to very like personal issues. When I spoke, I wasn't. I I've seen a lot of the things I spoke to but that wasn't the hurt of me that was the hurt of my people that was hurt for all of Nunavut and that's why it was so emotional for me but so like upsetting and angering because I had people coming up to me after but not the people I necessarily wanted and the amount of support and love was amazing that was fantastic that was so overwhelming and exciting but um you know I, I was calling out the people that can make change Trudeau what are you doing like <laughs> that's I wish mm -hmm. I put his name directly in there because that's who I was calling on so like in terms of that it's like one big thing happens so I go viral and then what that's that's my question now what like you know there's a there's a problem but what's being done about it. And Trudeau always says the same thing. We know there's a problem. We know there's issues. We're working on it. We still have a long way to go and nothing ever happens. The new uh, budget came out recently and um, it says, I'm pretty sure it says 30, 300, sorry, million dollars over the next 10 years for housing. That's 30 million a year. That's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to address the larger problems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Trini, you've become kind of a recognizable voice for young Inuit activists. Um, but what kinds of issues are you most passionate about talking about going forward? Uh, we've heard you talk about things like housing on your Facebook page, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, you know, you've talked about seal hunting, mental health, education. I just want to know, what are you most passionate about? And what kinds of conversations do you hope to spark through your work? Um, I can only pick one. <laughs> um, no, of course not. You can pick, you know, as many as you want. Just uh, oh, what kinds my... of things do you want other people to, to pay attention to? Just to us, to be honest. Like, there's no, I wouldn't say any particular thing. It's, it's, people really don't know anything about uh, Nunavut or Inuit. And that's all. We just want people to listen <laughs> That's and that's where it starts to get the ball rolling. Um, it's hard to try and fix or address or talk to an issue without really knowing much about it. But also, I find a lot of the time there's no human um, emotion, human aspect to it. So, can talk about 
the suicides, the stats, um, uh, the number of people in overcrowded housing. You can talk about all that kind of stuff, but if you're not actually putting a face to these problems, it's very easy to almost dehumanize it, to look at it like numbers. And it's the same way for a lot of Indigenous people. You know, you, you become another stat and that's it. So just other people taking a step further and just to listen. And that's one of my biggest things is if you're not Inuk or Indigenous, you can, you're entitled to your opinion and you can have it, but it is not valid if you are talking to an Indigenous Indigenous person about Indigenous issues and you're non-Indigenous. If you're non-Indigenous, you haven't lived through it. Your ancestors haven't been through residential school. You're not very familiar with things like suicide throughout all your communities. It's just... And I get that a lot, that people try and challenge me and challenge what I'm saying. And it's good in some ways, but in others, it's, it's like, how... How can you, you can't really talk to it if you're not Indigenous or the the way people try and um, challenge, like when people, this is one of my favorite, when people say, just move. If it's so crappy, just move. Um, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. So yeah, just for other people to listen and try and educate themselves a bit more. You're listening to Enemiki's Indigenous Innovators Podcast. This podcast is produced by Dakota Lightning and myself, Jordan Rennick, and it's edited by Janet Antone. To find more in the Indigenous Innovators series, you can head to indigenousinnovators.ca or find it at enemiki.com slash blog. And don't forget to subscribe to Indigenous Innovators on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. As someone from uh, Nunavut, now living in Ontario... Where you attend post-secondary school has how has that transition or experience been for you living in like southern Canada and like have you tried to give everyone down here a different perspective and your perspective to help them understand oh yes a hundred percent gotten pretty good at getting my foot in the door with with certain people so I, I worked for the human resource department at the school for the last last three months. And um, so I got to know some of the HR consultants, the human rights officer, HR assistants, uh, a bunch of people pretty well. I've also managed to, and it, a lot of this has to do with uh, Daughters of the Vote that really kind of bumped me up almost. Uh, I've had discussions with the president of the school, the VP of HR. I talk to as many of my profs as I can, just finding those uh, avenues and people that will listen and um, trying to get them to see things from a different perspective almost, and even just increasing their knowledge, I think, is beneficial. So even if it's just conversation, it's, it's always good to again like humanize that those different kinds of issues you mentioned before and and this is obviously valid but you said people who aren't as informed on these issues often say you know why don't you just move 
and you obviously made the decision to move to Southern Canada to go to school. Um, can you take us through that decision and you know, some of the complications of why you decided to do that and how, how that experience has been for you? So my mom's originally from Scarborough. She, she grew up in Ontario and my parents are both teachers and every year we have the two months off, we come down south. And it's been like that since I was a baby. So in many ways, like, I am comfortable living down south. Uh, I've experienced it. Um, I refer to myself as a blessed Indigenous person in those kinds of aspects where I have those experiences that now can help me as an adult. So one of the things that (laughs) rocks my world is the education system in Nunavut. So we follow the Alberta curriculum uh, in high school. But for me and for a lot of people, it's not really enforced until grade 12. So grade 9, 10, 11, it's a lot of uh, la-di-da, just kind of pushing students through the school system and getting them um, to the next grade. And it's not very... It's not very well structured, I don't think. And then in grade 12, you get hit in the face with these readings and reports. And like when I took biology, oh my goodness, I wasn't sure if I was going to pass. And uh, memorizing parts of the cell, I didn't have to do that before. Now, what's this? (laughs) So it's hard in the, it's hard because you're just, Growing up in Nunavut, you're just kind of used to being given the easy way. And then grade 12 and the grade 11, grade 12 hits you like a brick in the face. So graduation's a, a big deal back home. Now the fun part is if you want a post-secondary education, you either need to leave Nunavut or stay. But I'm pretty sure... Most, if not all, the programs offered at Nunavut Arctic College are only applicable for Nunavut. So it's just a system to keep us there. Now, they don't offer um, a whole bunch of things. So if, like for me, I'm taking business administration, human resource management, there's no, I couldn't do that back home. So now I have to leave. Moving down south has been a very interesting uh, experience. Also with Daughters of the Vote, uh, just a lot of kind of clicks and realizations about really what it's like for Indigenous people. And kind of now in my head I can put a label to what um, certain things are instead of not realizing like this doesn't work for me because of X. Um, So like even uh, sitting in my classes, I feel I am a minority, and I'm obviously a minority, and uh, just feeling really uncomfortable. Even walking down the hallways, it's like all these big murals and, oh, what do you call them? Displays that are from, like, European settler from, like, 100 years ago. And it's all these white people everywhere. And I'm like, where, where are mine? Where's my representation? And it's like, oh, it's here in the Aboriginal lounge in almost like a cave. There's no windows. It's over in a corner. It's 
you know, here's your space. Once again, it's it's just another form of colonization, a different form. And uh, it's like, here's your space over here. It's almost like a reserve or an isolated community. Um, so it's it's been very interesting in terms of those kinds of things. Now I, I have, like I said, got my foot in the door. So I think some changes will be coming. But people just really don't see the value in indigenizing spaces or being more aware of indigenous people. So that part's frustrating. Yeah. As a, as a young Inuit activist from the North, what role would you like to see like the rest of Canada play in these Northern issues? First step I think is just becoming aware and being educated on the sorts of things that are happening and not necessarily, you know, all the negative issues and stuff. Cause we have a lot of awesome things going on and, you know, mm-hmm. culture is a very different way of life. Mm-hmm. And even, I don't think people think about things like we don't have trees. How, how does somebody picture trees who's been around like, sorry, picture no trees who's been around trees. Yeah all the time those there's just certain things like that i don't think people really think about and being in isolated communities you know we get um uh, our waters chucked to our our water chucked to our house our sewage pumped out from our house with trucks and there's just certain things people it would never cross their mind and then that just kind of seems inuit from you know we come down south and People really think we have 52 words for snow. They still really think that. Other Indigenous people still really believe that there are 52 words for snow. And there's just a couple other kind of uh, myths that people really still believe. And um, so other people getting educated and becoming more knowledgeable in that, it kind of, again, humanizes Nunavut, like, there are, we were there too. Why can't we just want to be treated like the rest of Canada get, uh, does? And um, so I think education. And then I think from there, I don't know. Like I, I don't, to me, it's just education. The big things that should be with the leaders, that should be um, with the MPs, that should be with Trudeau, that shouldn't have to fall on anybody else um, but the government because the government's the reason we're stuck in these poor, poor systems and poor situations. So Trina, you've been doing a lot of speaking and activism while you're in school and while you're working on all these other things. And um, one of your aspects of activism is an online community called Tehungna Nunavut, which means Hear Me Nunavut in Inuktitut, right? Yes. So why did you start that project and what are you trying to accomplish with it? So I decided to start after um, the video blew up from the house on the hill. And what my goal is, is to provide facts on Nunavut and Nunavut Mute. But also, (laughs) this has been the hardest part too, getting people to message me with their stories. And I talk to a lot of people back home and it's a lot of, we've, been trying to be heard for so long um, and nothing's been done so I kind of people have given up and 
I get a lot of, if nothing's going to happen, I'm not going to do anything about it. But you can't make something happen without doing something about it, without talking about it, without raising these concerns. So I'm trying to educate um, other Canadians, but also trying to get Nunavut to get that spark again and voice their concerns and voice different things that are going on in Nunavut. So that has definitely been uh, the challenge. Penny McGee is proud to work on Coast Salish territory in Victoria, but our clients and our podcast guests come from all around Turtle Island. If you know an Indigenous innovator who you think we should profile for a blog piece or a podcast, you can reach out to us at the email address info at find us at our website, or you can track us down through any of our social channels, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And what kind of response have you gotten so far from either Northern or Southern Canadians? I think it's it's mostly Northern, but there are quite a few other Canadians that have liked it. Um, my life's been pretty busy, though, so I haven't uh, done much on there lately. So I'm hoping to get back into that here in the next couple of weeks. And... Um... When you get back into it, are there any, like, topics that you really hope to focus on, like, narrow in on to, like, help Um, the project grow and change? Yeah. So what I'm hoping um, taking this approach might be the way to go in terms of having, giving people a topic to discuss or share stories with. So I think one of the first ones I'd like to do for sure is the housing and the budget that just came out here. And then if I, I think if I can give that topic and give people something more, like less broad to discuss, maybe I can get more more feedback and more stories and even, so I'd like to talk to the housing concerns and issues and that way if I, and then do kind of like a topic each month. So hopefully that can draw more more viewers and also have people submit more stories so that's kind of how you want to see the project grow doing more pieces focused away from yourself um where do you want to see it in a year or two years or five years down the road if you continue working on this activism project where i would love to see it is to have this facebook um platform kind of big and strong enough so that people other people feel like they can feed off of it and working with different indigenous Um, communities and finding somebody in that community that I can work with and we can feed off each other's platform that way that would be fantastic and really I would love to take the focus off myself because it's been on me for uh, a while now and ever since the day after uh, the House of Commons I've been saying okay but yes thank you I really appreciate all the support but what can we do now? Like, did that not get people interested in Nunavut? Because the, the focus just really felt like it was on me. So I'd really love to steer away from that. So I'm hoping <laughs> it'll have less on my face in a year, if any at all. And what kinds of support do you need to grow this project? You said you're looking for partnerships. Is there anyone in particular or any groups in particular that you really want to work with? I would love to work with 
the We Matter project. I think they're based out of NWT. Um, that would be fantastic. I also have the honor of working with Susan Blue Cup this summer, so that'll be awesome. For me, really, it's just it's kind of one step at a time because I, I still have work and school and um, I do have <laughs> my own life. So just being able to start it in a way where I can kind of constantly and consistently um, either make those videos or update the page um, where I don't feel like I'm running around all the time trying to figure out what angle of the video to make it and if I need to edit it and if I do like what's the quickest and fastest way I can set those kinds of things up and just being able to do it kind of um, right almost from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You you speak a lot of how you wish that northern Canadians and southern or sorry southern Canadians would just know a lot more and educate themselves. For those people that know what you deal with on a regular basis living in the North, how do you want those people to support you and Tahanga? Um, like, what do you see them doing to help out? Or I guess, what's the next step past becoming educated about the issues or getting a broader understanding of Inuit issues? What's that next step past education? Yeah. I think it's kind of standing with us to help us overcome different situations. There's not enough people in Nunavut for the government to feel like they really got to start making changes in order for us to have basic human rights. And I think if more people had a better understanding of what I meant when I said the things I said in the house, it would allow them to feel like they could walk beside us. Uh, and support and help us make more noise as to these different issues that we face all the time. Awesome. So thanks so much for taking the time, Trina, to talk with us. If people want to follow along with the page or with what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? On Facebook, if they search Duhangna, it should, I'm pretty sure it's like the first thing that shows up. Awesome. Thanks so much, Trina, for, for joining us yeah, today. Thank I really you enjoyed very much. our conversation. And Marcy Miigwech, thanks to everyone uh, for listening. Good. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Dakota. Indigenous Innovators is created by our team here at Inimiki. Jordan and I are your hosts and producers, and the series is edited by Janet Antone. You can find links to our past episodes as well as news about enemy key at indigenousinnovators.ca. You can also keep up with the series at soundcloud.com slash indigenousinnovators or subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.